Hi everyone and welcome to the very first Keyflow podcast. My name is Frankie Reed Warolo and we are very lucky today to have on the show Jackie Green. Jackie is the barn manager for key rider Jesse Campbell, um, who is based at Maisie Manor in Wiltshire. Jackie, can you tell me a little bit about yourself other than being barn manager for Jesse? Oh, I love being barn manager for Jesse, but I do hope that isn't a role that defines me completely. Uh, <laughs> we've been at Maisie Manor, Catherine Berald and I, for about 15 years now. Catherine owns the property and I live on site. Um, Jesse's a key rider. He's an up-and-coming Kiwi rider who's on the development squad for Team New Zealand. Um, and I also work as on a freelance basis for Team New Zealand. So I do quite a bit of IT stuff in the squad clinics and I do some journalism for them and write up on their ESNZN website and things like that about the one days in England. So it's um, it's good. It's fun. It's moving and doing stuff like that. And I'm also involved with Team Canada um, as I was chef to keep for them at WEG in 2014. And I'm going for the Pan Ams this year. And then we'll have to wait and see what happens for Rio. Well, as we know, Canada have just recently got their qualification for the Olympics in Rio next year. Is that quite an exciting move for you guys? Does that mean that it makes it a little bit easier at the Pan Am Games? It's a massive move. I mean, we knew, we were told at the briefing at WEG that if any team member was tested positive, that it would disallow their whole team from the competition. And it's a bit of a sad state of affairs that WEG was held in the last week in August, and we've only just got confirmation from the FEI now in April that this it actually is the case. But whether it's by, by default or not, it's great for Team Canada because they had to go head-to-head with Team USA at the Pan Ams, which is a two-star, and to be able to tick that box and not worry about trying to beat the USA, which are a much stronger nation than us on home soil, it's a really positive result. And it also leaves the doorway open for Team USA to qualify at the Pan Ams. And then you've got all the great nations in the world qualify for the Olympics, which is how it should be. So if you'd known a little bit earlier, would it may have made a difference to anyone's preparations for this season? I said there certainly has been some pressure from Team Canada, for example, for riders like Rebecca Howard, uh, who's also a key rider, um, that she was being pressurised to take her four-star horse, Riddlemaster, back to America to run him in a two-star in order to secure qualification for the Pan Ams for Team Canada. And that's a huge pressure. And obviously, it's a massive thing when you've got a four-star horse and you're being pressurised to maybe you really should fly it back to America and compete him at two-star to secure qualification because very difficult decision for Rebecca to make. On one hand, she wants to support Team Canada. On the other hand, she is in the UK. She wants to go to Burley. And she can't do that if she does the Pan Ams as well. So it, it, it's early enough that it hasn't affected all of that, but it certainly has made... She, for example, perhaps couldn't make a commitment to going to Babington because she didn't know if she might be required to go to the Pan Ams. So, yeah, the, the yeah. fact that the FEI takes so long to make these decisions does have an ongoing impact, and there's no reason for it taking so long. It's slightly frustrating, isn't it? I mean, the, please excuse me for not being very knowledgeable, but maybe you can educate me. So... Team Canada could have got their qualification at the Pan Am Games for the Olympics, even though the Pan Ams are a two-star? Is that correct? 
yeah it's a different zone so with the, so the zone for team canada and team usa if they don't if they don't qualify at WEG, which neither team did because team canada finished seventh and they had to finish sixth and team usa didn't finish as a team then their next opportunity because they're in a different zone to the european zones means they can qualify at the pan ams which is a two-star and that also includes nations like mexico and those those south american nations that we don't normally see brazil for example needs to qualify at the pan ams but only the winning team can qualify there so mm. it's it, it it looks very likely that team usa will pick up their olympic qualification there but you never know because sometimes when you try and take four-star horses back to two-star for a qualification, it doesn't go so well. <laughs> I mean, they must be feeling quite under pressure to get there if that's their last chance for a qualification for the for the Olympics. It, it's their last chance to qualify as a team. But what they can always fall back on is there's another way to qualify. You can qualify a team um, through individual rankings as well. So if they've got USA members riders that are high enough on the FEI individual rankings then they can qualify as individuals to make up a team it, it's an incredibly complex process yeah. but it would be quite surprising if team USA did not win the Pan Ams and, and and didn't qualify at this stage it really would and I mean do you feel that it's fair um that other nations well the European teams for example have to qualify by competing at a four-star and I mean WEG was an extremely tough competition as we all know last year and yet the USA can qualify for the Olympics by trotting around a two-star. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, it's, it's very difficult to quantify because the Europeans can also qualify at the European Championships which is a three-star which will be held in Blair Castle this year in August so the genuine European nations can can qualify there so they get the opportunity to qualify any competition that's deemed a CCIO which is a championships is a qualifying competition whichever zone you're in and the Pan Ams is a two-star but it's also classed as a CCIO because it's a championship so therefore it is qualifying and it does give countries like Mexico and Brazil the opportunity to compete on a very fair basis because they're not at this stage going to be competitive one would imagine at WEGS at European well obviously not eligible for Europeans but at WEGS and those sorts of competitions so it, it's a fit what they're trying to do the IOC are trying to get as many nations qualified the best way that they can so I think it's quite fair because the, the developing nations do not have access to even the advanced one days that we do to build up to a four star so it, it does work in itself. Yeah we're very lucky here and well not only in Britain but in Europe um, and I mean staying on the Olympic theme we're obviously only a year just over a year away from Rio now how do you think that the teams are coming together when we look at you know the the, the key teams such as New Zealand, Great Britain, Germany, do you think that they're beginning to sort of uh, throw their weight around a little bit and you know we've just had Kentucky uh, last week which was quite exciting, the first four star of the year. So how do you feel about prospects for next year? Well, I think the, the shift towards the fact that Rio is in South America has shown considerably already. There were probably the strongest field ever at Kentucky that assembled this year because the focus has moved towards competing in America. 
Mickey Young hasn't been to Kentucky since the Worlds were held there when he went as part of the German team. This year, he took two horses. They wanted to fly the horses. They wanted to compete in America. They wanted to get a feel of the quarantine situation, how things were going to pair out. Tim Price, a little bit the same. He could have taken his horse, Wesco, to Babington, which would have been far simpler, 45 minutes down the road for him. They wanted to fly his horse. They wanted to see how it travelled. They wanted to deal with the situations that would arise in Rio. That all the work, all the teams from all the nations are now starting to focus on America. We have no Americans entered for Babington this year, which is quite unusual. But they don't feel they need to compete on British soil. That the build-up is already starting towards America, Rio. That is where the action is going to be next year. So certainly, I think every team is starting to put things into place, um, and it is going to be quite focused on America. Yeah, I mean, as a British person, I must say I did sweat a little bit when I saw the top three at Kentucky were all foreign riders. <laughs> Michael Young, you know, came first and third, and Tim came second, which was amazing. Um, and I mean, William Fox Pitt came fourth on Bay My Hero, who won last year, which, you know, he's obviously very good at traveling and that's that's not a problem. But I wonder if um, the depth of horses throughout all the nations is still there at the moment, because as we discussed, the Olympics is only a three star. So you don't necessarily have to have a four star horse. Is that correct? Well, there's always this thing about the Olympics. I mean, the funny thing about the Olympics is, and it's it's such a hard taskmaster for whoever is designing at the Olympics, is they basically have to design something between a two-star and a four-star course at the same time. So <laughs> if you take every single long route, you are almost jumping a 2.8 track. If you go straight everywhere and go quick, you're jumping a four-star track. And that's the funny thing about the Olympics. So you won't find a, a winner at the Olympics who's taken five long routes, but you might yeah. find a team that's competed as a team because they have taken five long routes. And that's where the Olympics is unique. I mean, in the past, we've had horses that have been amazing horses and have gone to the Olympics. Um, my ex-husband, David Green's horse, Chatsby, for example, went to Atlanta Olympics, but and he won quite a few three-stars in Europe as well, but we never deemed him a four-star horse in the terms that we would not have taken him to Babington or Burley because there's no let-up in the beginning. It's right on in there. So the Olympics is always different. You can nearly ride the track you need to ride for your horse and your rider. Um, it's very different from anything else. It really is. And the course is always very different because there are always so many more alternatives because obviously the ultimate aim is to get as many nations to complete as possible. We've spoken a lot about the Olympics there, but obviously the main championship this year, 2015, is the Europeans. Um, and like you said earlier, Jackie, that's at Blair Castle up in Scotland, which is quite exciting as a, as a British person because we get to take 12 riders this year. Do you think um, that the British team will try and use a few more new riders and fresh faces as Chef to Keep for Canada? Is that something that you would do if you had the opportunity? Well, as Chef to Keep for Canada, I mean, we actually don't have enough depth to be able to have warranted sending 12 riders probably to a three-star championship. But Yogi has certainly run a policy in the last two years of sending young teams to Nations Cups, 
which he's been very successful with. I, mean, I think the Brits won in Ballon Dennis last week. Um, yeah. and I think Ollie Tynan was part of that, but they were up and coming riders uh, on the the world class programme, like Flora Harris, etc., who've benefited from that. And I think they will most certainly use the Europeans with the extra slots that they have um, to certainly put people in the team situation and a team atmosphere because I, I don't have anything to do with Team GB, but. I know that the way they work is whether you're an individual or you're a member of the team, it's very much you're all part of Team GB. So I have no doubt that Yogi will certainly be running some up-and-coming young blood um, and seeing how they operate and seeing how they go and seeing how they, they really work under pressure because there's never pressure until you're really on a proper senior team and then that's where the pressure really steps up. So, yes, I'm sure they will use that. And what an exciting opportunity that will be for any new faces who get to go to Blair because not only, like you said, are they going to be on, on their first senior Team GB, but also in home country. And, you know, the year before in Olympics, everything suddenly gets quite exciting. Uh, but Blair in the past has always been quite a unique course and it'll be interesting to see how Ian Stark builds it this year. I think I read something about him saying that he's going to change the course completely to how the CCI three-star ran last year. So do you think the team um, selectors and, and team management know what kind of horses they want to take to Blair? I think, I mean, we know that Blair's hilly. We've always known that. We've known that it's it's more of a stamina test than perhaps some of the three days. But I go back to the same point every time. It doesn't, it's not the venue so much as the fact that, and not what the course builder has done. Nine times out of ten, it comes back to ground conditions. You can have a perfect Babington where nearly everybody canters around inside the time. You can have a wet, muddy, horrible, tacky-going, windy Babington like we had last year, which actually wasn't a great picture. We read the weather forecast every week and we look at it and go, oh, great, that's going to happen. They change it two days before. It is ground conditions that makes a three-day difference, and that is the challenge that the course builder has and the selectors have is to pick those horses and riders and who knows i mean if i was a selector which thank god i'm not for team gb because it would be a nightmare of a task i would be choosing combinations that i wanted to see well can they operate in any conditions what happens if it gets wet and muddy and hilly are they still going to be able to pull out all the stops i mean team gb have got a unique opportunity to run as many combinations as they really can put forward and and see what happens and see who comes out on the top of the pile so is it quite like taking out all the risks, really? You know, you, you don't want to choose a horse that maybe is only good in firm going or only good in wet going? Yeah, because we just never know what we're going to get. So yeah. as a, That makes it quite difficult. It makes it, that is, that is the whole point of it. And that is why this combination of having four riders of which three scores count makes such a difference because... It, it's it's huge. I mean, you just don't know until the day. None of us knew that Harasti Pan last year was going to be waterlogged, bottomless, horrible ground. Um, we hadn't. We'd seen wet ground at Harass before, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we were pretty convinced that when we went there for WEG, they'd have done masses of work to the ground. It would be a World Championships. You know, it wasn't. Um, and that's what upturned the apple cart so much. I've never been to Brazil, so I have no idea what ground conditions are like it's it's difficult you you would want to select a, a team that had flown before had traveled before had gone through quarantine 
we're quite happy in a foreign environment, all of that stuff. But you still don't know until the day. You yeah. just don't know, and it's very difficult. But at least Yogi Breisner is in a unique position of being able to run as many combinations as you can. But it's, you know, even at Blair Castle, we're still a year away from the Olympics. And as we all know, being involved with horses, a year away is so much time in a horse's career. They can go wrong, they can not qualify, they can pick up a virus, they can not winter well. Suddenly somebody will come out of nowhere and win a couple of three stars. I mean, who could have forecast that Aoife Clark, for example, who has won two three stars on Fenya's Elegance, would withdraw from Babington and send her back to her breeder saying, I can't do this mare justice, I can't ride her. Yeah, yeah and I'm sure that, you know, last year and when they sent, the Irish sent Aoife to Wegg on a horse that had won two three stars, they were pretty confident that this was you know, heading for Rio. 12 months is a very long time in the horse world and anything can change. But for key riders like Tim Price, for example, who went to, to Rolex, he, he won the Mulan. He was second in Rolex. The horse has traveled, flown, quarantined, come out of it great, all of that stuff. You know, he must be pretty secure thinking, I've ticked boxes. But who knows what would if Wesco will still be sound and fit in a year's time. Of course, we all hope he will be. But 12 months is a very long time in horses. In my experience, having worked for Team Australia and Team New Zealand, selectors have a very short memory. I mean, right now, Tim Price and Wesco are flavour of the month. Like, that is amazing. He's done three four-stars. He pulled up at WEG on the grand jury's instructions. He won the Mulan. He was second at Rolex. It's amazing what you can do in the year before the Olympics and think, well, all my boxes are ticked. Um, and then come the year of the Olympics, suddenly, when you've put that horse in cotton wool, they go, you haven't done anything for 15 months. We're not sure we want you. You know, he won't, Tim won't rest on his laurels. I'm, I'm pretty sure that at the moment, Tim's plan is to go to Poe at the end of the, this season and then to Babington next spring. You know, he's not That's relying on this as a performance to guarantee him the Olympics. He still has to earn his place. I wish he wasn't going to Poe because that's where I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do something to stop him from going. Change his mind. <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, the uh, eventing wheels are at full speed now. Rangers have Kentucky and Badminton is next week. What do you think we can expect from Badminton this year? I mean, we've had the course preview and we've had a few course walks from various people and you know, able to see them on the internet and things. Um, to me, it looks similar with a few tweaks obviously it's running the opposite uh way around but some of the jumps are still fairly the same like the the corners in huntsman close um so like you said in ground conditions is such a huge uh factor nowadays and we've had quite a dry couple of weeks so who knows what's going to happen i mean it'll be really interesting to see but how do you think it's looking so far I haven't looked at the course previews because I always find those computer-generated course walks very unimpressive. Um, I'd much rather walk it on the Wednesday and get a, yeah. a view of it with grand conditions sort of being, let's see what it's going to be like at the weekend, but you're much closer to it. Grand conditions always play a massive part in badminton. I would imagine, and I know from the reports, that Giuseppe Delacesa has softened the, the middle part of the course last year that caused such a problem. For me personally, I'm really sad that he's taken iconic fences out, like the Vicarage V 
and things like that because I just think that's sad. I think it's so part of the history of badminton. And if anybody, if you walk into anybody's house that's done badminton, you will they will have a picture of themselves either jumping into the lake or over the vicarage fee because it is so iconic. And I think it's really sad that we lose those sorts of fences. I understand why he's wanted to soften that section, but I personally, I think it's a little bit sad because I do think it's part of the history of Babington. And I still think it's a shame that we don't go across Luckington Lane and jump Tom Smith's walls and those sorts of fences because it is so much part of the history of Babington. And Babington is a mixture of first-timers and people that have wanted to get there their whole life and are not going to trouble the top 10 and the professional riders that are only going there if they have a chance to be part of the top 10. But in either sense, whichever camp you're in, to jump those iconic Babington fences is a landmark. And I, I do think it's a bit of a shame that they have been taken out. Do you think that he could soften that section in a different way to still include Vicarage <coughs> I'm just not sure that we need three waters at Babington. Um, I mean, it's look, we, we've always had the lake. Now you go through the lake twice. Um, in the last 10 or 15 years, we've had the cold pond. That's fine. This new water that they've built at the back end of the course that was used last year, um, which jumped great for most people, but sadly was the undoing of Andrew Nicholson and Areo. I... I would rather see that removed and go back to the traditional badminton. I'm I'm not sure that any track really does need three water fences. I don't know. I, I think it's great for the crowds. I think the people love standing by water because you, you can never quite predict what's going to happen in water. Horses are a little different through water. You can walk a stride a hundred times. One will go through on seven. One will go through on six. One will kind of slightly miss the step up out. All of that stuff. It, water increases the unpredictability of something um, and it is a good crowd puller but as I say I I personally would love to see Babington just going back to being the lake but still incorporating the vicarage fee and still incorporating Luckington Lane and the crossing because it's a shame when you lose that history. Jackie it was interesting what you were saying about the the new water at Babington being a bit of a crowd pleaser and obviously we know that spectators and the crowds love to go and watch the water jumps and maybe having three of them means that there's more places for the crowds to go and watch them and I do wonder whether this is um, helping the sport in terms of TV viewings and making it more accessible to a wider audience and whether that is kind of the only reason why Giuseppe has put it in. I know that you know you're not too keen on the new water section but maybe it's necessary in order to keep the sport um, event developing in the future? It's a really good question. It's it's one of those things, the sport as Bruce Haskell, Paul Tapner, these guys working for ERA have put forward so many times. We've got to be more media friendly. We've got to be more approachable. We've got to project a better image, all of these things. And whatever draws the crowds in is a good thing. And so on that balance, you have the point where you go, whatever the public wants, we have to give them. That's great. You have to also be very careful that by adding extra water features, etc., etc., you're not just highlighting the fact that then horses are going badly. There's nothing worse than watching a horse stumble into water, make a mess of it, not quite make the bank out, not read it. Suddenly that's a bad picture. The third water at WEG was a really bad picture for the public where horse after horse stumbled up the step, fell over the fish, 
it made us thought look a joke. It, it's a really hard balance. And again, it's one that I do not envy course builders having to deal with because they are trying to balance making it more accessible, more exciting, more available. We need more publicity. We need more prize money. But also balancing it with the welfare of the horse and trying to make it as nice a picture as possible. I mean, we're never going to get away from the fact that people watch cross country because it's exciting. There is an element of we don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to jump it? Are they going to leave a leg? Is it going to be an unseated rider? The fact that we have all these brush arrowheads now and brush everything, it's a much prettier picture for the public, which is great. But you also have to question how good it is for horses because certainly at WEG, they were beginning, you, you, you had the feeling coming home towards the end of the course that they were feeling they could just jump six inches lower over everything and skim through it, which is not a great thing for a four-star horse to want to learn. It's an impossible balance. And yet again, I go back to the course builders, the great course builders like Mike Edlington-Smith, Captain Mark Phillips, you know, these guys that designing and they're, they're trying to balance everything all at once and they then also on top of everything else have no control over the weather which changes everything yeah i mean one of the questions i've got in my mind about talking about water is is it the fence or is it where it's placed in the course i mean like you were saying about the last water at weg would it of course as much chaos if it was at the beginning or in the middle um and then obviously that comes down to the course builder and where they place it and i wonder whether any course builder out there has ever been 100 percent pleased with any course that they've ever built so you know it is a true art and, and it's not easy and i i do wonder whether sometimes riders don't take um don't, don't think about that as much and how difficult it is for the course builders to get it right I think every rider walks every track going, okay, it's, there's always been the feeling in eventing that it's not team against team. It is the riders, in a way, united against the course builder. You, you will find in any team situation that an American rider will say to a Kiwi rider or whatever, God, that really doesn't work on the five. It might have walked five, but it doesn't work on the five. Like, it, you know, it really works on the four or something like that, which is amazing about our sport. And that just wouldn't happen in show jumping because there's so much more money involved. People are not going to give information away and drop 100 grand for a round. We're competing for relevant peanuts. So it's about the welfare of the horse riders going well all of that stuff which is which is all great it is it is very difficult i mean the, the water at WEG, the problems with the course at WEG stem from the ground conditions which were awful and the fact that i think they made very bad decisions when they shortened the course as the fact they took out a couple of actually what were let up fences and then that made that course so intense for fence after fence after fence and the horses got a little bit weary and a big step up out of water is always a dodgy thing late on in the course because you just never know if the horses are going to guess us or not um and it, you know some of them did and then that caused the and plus the fact the long route was so long and when you start turning horses away from home that late on in the course that's when they slightly give up on you they'll keep heading towards home but when you start u-turning away from home when they're nearly home that's when they go oh you know what i'm done and that was a bad picture and 
the long routes again at that late on in the course didn't have horses turning away from home if you need to take a long route late on in the course it's because you need to get home and that yeah. long route be horse friendly and still somehow heading towards home well let's hope that Giuseppe has uh, built a really good course for everyone to run round next week, well, hopefully not run round. Let's hope it causes um, not quite as much chaos as last year, but that it's not just going to be a dressage test. Uh, th Jackie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been so interesting, and you've had some really interesting points of view. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and I hope we talk again after Babington, and then I'll be proved completely wrong, and every point I've raised will be like, well, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. <laughs> then we can do a review and go, well, in hindsight, which is what usually happens in eventing, so I look forward to that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Thanks, Frankie.